Right. Good evening, Grace Covenant. Probably wondering why are these two knuckleheads on the stage together? <laughs> We're still trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, now, actually, tonight we are doing something a little bit different. We're going to do a Vantage Point Live. Um, some of you guys know that... Uh, oh. You could tell by the claps that not too many of you guys have actually <laughs> listened to the podcast That's, or... That they podcast, were some of the negative they were, <laughs> comments. Oh, they were the, the bad critics that yeah, yeah. got on the feedback. Okay, no. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about prayer. And um, if you don't know, we started this podcast uh, a year ago. And the goal is to help you see your faith, life, and culture more clearly. Um, and we're going to continue this series that Pastor Jim started last week on talking with God. Talking with God. Um, Before we go further... My name is Sean. For those who aren't here, I'm one of the pastors. And My name is Stephen. I'm the young adult pastor here. Sure. And uh, when we talk about prayer, Pastor Jim, he, last week, he talked about uh, the problem of prayer being, how do we approach this infinite holy God? Mm. Um, he talked about how prayer is not a burden, but it's a privilege. And ultimately, how the Holy Spirit is the one, the paraclete, uh, is the one who helps us in our weakness, know what to pray. Um, tonight, we're going to actually talk about how to pray for unsaved family members. How many of you have an unsaved family member you've been praying for? So, Father, we just, we thank you for tonight. And God, we are mindful of those in our families who do not know you. And we're asking you, God, that tonight you would equip us to know how to pray for them how to pray with them with power, how, how to not give up praying for them, Lord. And Lord, we're believing you that some of these family members are going to come to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So a couple things. One, why do we pray for our family? Two, we're going to talk about three keys to praying for your family. And then lastly, uh, if you need some incentive to pay attention, you're actually going to pray with some people in your group. So you want to know what to pray for. So some incentive to actually listen to what we have to say. If it's just for the three people that you're going to pray for uh, tonight. Yeah. So first, um, why do we pray for our family? Pastor well, Sean. Um, as we get ready to jump into that, also just as a scripture reference, what we'll primarily be speaking from is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 14. Um, why do we pray for our family? I think one of the first things we have to realize is that the family was really designed by God, the ideal family. Um, you see the Trinity being a community there. Um, but when, from Adam on, God had designed man to live in community, um, to be reproduced. The first commandment was to go and be fruitful and <laughs> to fill up the earth. Yeah. Um, and that constituted building families. You, know, you think about God the Father, God the Son. So even in the Trinity, there's language of the family. And then also God's promise to Abraham, even in the Old Testament, was to bless him in order to bless all the families of the earth. And that continues, that theme of family, to Jesus Christ, who is our older brother, who is the perfect son, who is the means by which uh, we can enter into the family of God. And so... In continuing in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul, when he writes to these, these letters to these churches, he refers to them as brothers and sisters. Yeah. That you and I, 
This church, the larger church, is a part of God's family. There's that family language of the bride of Christ. We are wedded to Jesus Christ. We are the household of faith. Um, that's the language that, that scripture uses of family. Yeah, and, and I, you know, some of you may be thinking, of course, I know that. But part of the reality that we deal with is we have a bent towards praying for ourselves. Mm. And so as we will further look into scripture um, in, ter- in terms of the passage that we'll be talking about more, um, we, we have to understand that it's God's desire for families to be expanded, the family of, of God to be expanded, but that he cares for your loved ones just as much as you do, and that we don't want to just leave them in the dark. So our bent is towards ourselves, and so sometimes we have to be kind of brought back to a place where we can see things the way that God sees them so that we do not stay in that space of kind of having this myopic view of, God, I need another job. God, I need this. And then there may be certain family members that we're praying for, but that uncle that maybe said something sideways to you or the, 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 the cousin, you know, on the Vantage Point podcast, we can use a little bit more slang and stuff like that. So if it slips out, it's because we're back in the element that we would normally be in. But you, you, so you have kind of that dynamic where, there are loved ones that are so far gone in some cases, <laughs> you don't even bring them to the Lord <laughs> because... I stopped praying for Uncle Rico a long time ago. Right. And, but so we need to remember that the, the, the idea of family is God's... It was his own design. It's his idea and that he cares immensely about it. And so I just love how you bring out all of the language that we find laced through scripture of family members and the connection that family brings to the table. Yeah, and sin messes all of that up. Oh, yeah. God's picture of what a family is supposed to be, his design. When sin enters the picture in scripture, now there's brokenness and there's pain. And that's where prayer comes in because prayer is the outlet for us to know what to do with this pain that we experience in family. I mean, when you think about a son that you birthed, that you raised, that you took to t-ball practice, that you paid for his clothes and you did everything for him, and now he's rebelling against you, he's rebelling against God. The pain that comes with that, the pain that comes with being married to an unbeliever and the deepest, richest intimacy that you can enjoy with another person isn't there because you can't enjoy Jesus Christ together. The pain of having a father who is supposed to be a representative of God the Father who gives you a picture of who God is supposed to be and that father isn't saved or that father maybe is a believer uh, or claims to be a believer but his life doesn't look like what a believer's ought to look like. The pain that comes from being in broken families. What do we do with that? Well, prayer is the outlet. Yeah, yeah, and... So in, in particular, like what Pastor Jim was um, speaking about last Wednesday and with the relationship that God has given to us or the intimacy that he's given to us, in particular through the, the paraclete or the Holy Spirit, that there's this, there's this peace that comes about through our intimacy with him. There's joy um, that comes from intimacy with him. And when we're, we're dealing with deep-seated wounds, it's, that's where you will find your healing kind of like in its most profound way. Now, I do believe that God graces men and women, and there may be conversations and consultations that you can have, counseling, I should say, um, that you can go through that can bring healing 
And he may add his grace to it so that you get complete healing. But it's in intimacy with him is where he really can deal with the wounds. Like, for, for example, my father and my mother, they separated when I was three years old. And there was deep-seated wounds that came about. Though my father was in an extremely hard space, he was a drug addict at the time. Um, and as a kid, I didn't have any outward signs of it. But, man, I'm it's in my 30s, and it hit me. Um, that my, my dad abandoned me. And it was in my intimacy with God. It was in giving it to him that I could get past the pain. I thank God that he saved my father. He was a, a pastor. and I mean, I didn't grow up with him. And unfortunately, he passed away in 07. So his life was right. But it actually got me to a space where it wasn't a blind spot. It wasn't a weight that I was just living with and just doing life um, kind of this is normative for me. It was actually something that was lifted off of me because I took it to him in prayer. And so I think that that intimacy, dealing with those wounds, really positions us where we really can play, pray Excuse me, for our family members, in particular when, when, when you have family members who have hurt you. Yeah. And I just want to encourage uh, those of you who are here who are experiencing the pain of family, that you're not alone. Because Jesus himself experienced the pain of being rejected by family. The Apostle John, in in the Gospel of John, John chapter 7, it says that not even his brothers believed in Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 21, says when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Mm. Can you imagine Jesus doing his ministry, healing people, seeing people get saved, and his family thinks he's absolutely insane. Yeah, and you know, like when we think about that, it's easy to just think of Jesus as God and it's like water off a duck's back. But if he faced temptations and he had an experience just like a man, if he was 100% man, that had to hurt. And so he's intimate with the pain that comes from being rejected by family members. So subconsciously, I think at times we can just push God into this category where he doesn't really understand, it's a little bit easier for me to talk to somebody else. But he does know. He actually experienced it as he was drawing us back to himself. Yeah. So there's a, there's a personal way to um, deal with the pain is through prayer. But then there's a real strategy to praying for your family mm. in that the, the spread of Christianity really grew through families. If you think about when uh, around 40 AD, after Jesus' ministry, after he ascended to the Father, there was around, you know, maybe 1,000 Christians. By the end of the 4th century, there was somewhere around 6 million Christians. That's a, uh, I, I found this stat from a guy who wrote a book um, called The Rise of Christianity, How the Obscure Marginal Jesus Movement Became the Dominant Religious Force in the Western world in a few centuries. With the title of a book that long, you know this is a smart guy. Um, <laughs> I thought he was going to say he, loved, he was like a doctor in statistics or something like that. Yeah, well, he was a sociologist, and he, what he was studying was how did Christianity spread so rapidly? And what he found, and he's not, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he's just looking at it from a sociological perspective, is that Christianity spread because one person would hear the gospel, and then their whole family would get saved. Yeah. We see the example, examples of that in the book of Acts with uh, Cornelius. Peter comes, he preaches the gospel. Cornelius gets saved, he gets baptized, his whole family gets baptized. 
the Philippian jailer. Paul preaches the gospel. This Roman pagan uh, jailer gets saved. And what, is, what does the apostle say to him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved, you and your household. Hmm. And that's what happened. And that's how Christianity spread. So God called you not just to save you, mm. but to use you to bring revival in your family. You got to say that one again, though, man. You got to say that. If I re- could remember what I said, I would say that again because <laughs> it was that good. Maybe go back and listen to the podcast. Anyway, okay. So let's dive a little bit into this passage. Um, Romans chapter 10, 9 through 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. And he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So three keys from this passage on how to pray for your family. The first one is to acknowledge both how far and how near your family member's salvation is. How far and how near. Here's what, uh, what we mean by this. If you look at that first verse, verse 9, this is a very famous verse in the Bible. It's probably one of the clearest uh, passages that talk about how to be saved. So it's an appropriate passage to pray for your family member's salvation. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pretty straightforward. But think for a second of how impossible this is for us to do in our own strength. Like some of us have these uh, strategies or these like plans to to get our family members saved. Like if we can just get them to Grace Covenant at the 1045 when Pastor Brett's preaching right in the middle of the anointing and if, if they accidentally raise their hand because they were, that maybe they'll be saved. Or if I send them this devotional or if, you know, maybe I slip a, a Bible reading plan in their, their pocket as they're going. I don't want to diminish what the Holy Spirit might prompt you to do to witness to your, to your family members. But if you're relying on your own strength to lead someone to Jesus, it's impossible. This verse right here, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I mean, the Bible talks about what our mouths do apart from Jesus. You look at Romans chapter 3 and earlier in this book that we're, we're looking at tonight. And the Apostle Paul talks about that there's no None that are righteous, no, not one. And he goes on to describe these different parts of our body. He talks about our, our mouths, and he says that our mouths are full of curses and bitterness. That's what naturally comes out of our mouths, apart from Jesus Christ. You know, and, and one of the things that I think it really underscores when we think about how we're going to pray for our family and the fact that confession um, is kind of the activator now, remember, like here in this passage where he says, if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart, it's like a parallelism. So it's not you need to do one and then the other and, and then you're good. Like when I was in college or right, 
before my, my days with Christ, I would confess with my mouth and think that that was punching the ticket and then I could live however I wanted to live. Um, so there has to be kind of this simultaneous thing that's going on on the inside and, and the true acknowledgement of who God is. That, that it is in confessing him as Lord, the, the, the reality is, is that that may sound simple on the surface, but to really believe in your heart that he's Lord, that he's supreme over all, takes some humility. It takes the dying of pride um, in, in some ways for you to acknowledge God the way that he is. And our spiritual death, um, for those who are like on the course, what, what Paul talks about in Ephesians, I think, too, where he says that we are on the course of this world that's, that's led by the, 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 um, the kingdom of darkness, um, we, we cannot come to that conclusion where we can get to that space where what we've been speaking, because it's such a common thing, because we've been speaking curses and it's the common language, we, we live in that space, we live in that air, so it seems like it's okay. So we have a tendency of bringing the line down of what really is evil, um, bringing the line down to, so that our behavior sits above it. Does that make sense to you? So like in some cultures, doing A, B, and C is a no-no. So if you did that, then you're underneath their line. But they may do X, Y, and Z. And so, so, but those behavioral traits are above the line. That's accepting to God. But Paul is really illustrating it from chapter 3 that, no, there's nothing that we were doing. There's no way that we were talking. It was coming out of us, things that were just offensive to God. And it's not just the four-letter words that, that make up that offense towards our Lord. Yeah, and just as you pointed out, the, there's a correlation between what our mouths say and what our hearts believe. And if our mouths, the way Paul describes it, are cursed, our hearts aren't any better. All right. Jeremiah talks about our hearts being deceitfully wicked. Mm. The prophet Ezekiel talks about how we have before Jesus hearts of stone. So how do you make something, you can spray uh, perfume on a corpse, but a corpse is still a dead body. Yeah. We need the resurrection power of Jesus, and there's no amount of strength or persuasion or strategies in our own selves that can save a family member apart from Jesus Christ. Their salvation is far from us, mm. but near for God. Near for God. I mean, right there in that passage, the Apostle Paul, a little bit earlier, he's talking about how the Jews had tried in their own strength to uh, obey the law for salvation. He says, look, you, you have to obey the law completely and no one has done that except Jesus. Mm. But there's a simple way to come to know Christ, the only way, and it's simply just to confess. It's simply just to believe. Salvation is right there. It's, it's near. Mm. All you have to do is surrender your life to Jesus. And I want to encourage those of you who have a family member that feels very far away from God, that salvation is near. That it's just a matter of them opening their mouth and believing in their heart. That one decision, no matter how far away they are from God, one decision to surrender to Jesus changes everything and changes them from an enemy of God to a friend of God. Amen. Before we move on, it reminded me of something Pastor Jim said last week. God answers prayers that emanate from his will and not our own. 
And so when we're talking about the distance, how far they are really from God, how far we are from getting them there in our own strength, in our own natural methods, but how near they are when we go to God, he gives us his will, we're praying into his will, then we, it, it is just a move of God away from happening. So the closeness comes because of our acknowledgement that God is Lord, mm. meaning that he has authority over everything. And that nothing he says will return back unto him void. No one can thwart his will. So if we come in line with his will in our prayer, it takes us to get to that space personally. Like when we talk about our hearts going into the time of prayer is acknowledging who God is. Mm. Not just like sometimes we can just sing great songs and they're beautiful. And, and But that we can do it kind of in a mindless fashion, not really thinking about the, the, the weight behind the words. So like really having a, a, a kind of firm setting on who God is in relationship to his sovereignty over everything, then that's what brings the proximity of our loved ones coming to know him reasonable because there's nothing that's impossible for him. But if we're just heaping up words to God and it's not really in faith that he's able to do it, then I don't know that's as effective. So in conjunction with understanding the proximity, it's also us really kind of remembering the lordship of who we are praying to. Um, that, that, that is more than just a title, it's more than just religious activity, but he is the one who spoke the universe into existence. Amen. This is who we are talking to. And so we have to have that level of reverence for our Heavenly Father when we're praying. And, and that's not always, you know, it's not always just in, in the, the language that you use, but I'm saying it's the disposition of your heart yeah. towards whom you are talking to so that when we're praying for our loved ones, we know that it can get done. Mm-hmm. Like when Jesus gives the parable of the persistent widow going continually before the judge, she knew that judge could bring justice to her. You got to know that your father in heaven can make a difference in your family member's life. You better preach over there, man. That's good stuff. And you th- I was actually talking to uh, someone recently on the phone, um, who, and I was counseling them because they were in some serious debt and um, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And as I was walking them through kind of a process to get back to, uh, you know, a positive number, um, there was a series of steps that they had to follow. Like, they need to make some sacrifices, right? Probably no vacation this year. Might have to downgrade on the car. There's, there's various things that they have to do to dig themselves out of this hole. And yet, when you think about salvation and the debt that we owe God, yeah. mm. The years that we've rebelled against him, the decisions, the countless decisions that have gone contrary to his nature, and yet that debt in one moment was paid in Jesus Christ. Mm. One moment. Salvation is near. So a prayer, you know, my, um, my father uh, grew up in a family that was very dysfunctional. Um, his father left his mom, and as a result, she was depressed pretty much the rest of her life. His dad went on to marry two other women. And so he came from this place of brokenness. And all of his siblings uh, are understandably very bitter at, at their parents. And yet my dad made a decision to begin praying 
for the salvation of his mom and dad. And can I just tell you, as a, as a boy growing up, seeing my dad pray, hmm. I thought there's no way that my grandparents are going to come to know Jesus. Like, I just, I knew the history apart from God and, and the effects of, of some of their sin and some of the decisions that they had made. And yet he was faithful just praying for them. And in the last two years of my grandfather's life, my father led him to the Lord. Amen. And then my grandmother, who was a um, universalist, you can look what, what that is up later, but <laughs> she basically believed that uh, anybody could be saved no matter what they believe in. Um, a year before she died, my dad led her to the Lord. Salvation is near. No matter where your family members are, no matter what they're caught up in, no matter what fi- false ideology, false religion, in one moment God wants to save them. So a prayer would be, using this verse, acknowledging the, the distance and yet the nearness of salvation it might be something like this. God, I acknowledge that I cannot save my brother. There's nothing I can do in my own power to redeem what comes out of his mouth. I can't change his heart, but Lord, I know it's an easy thing for you. Lord, I pray that my brother would confess with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in his heart that that God raised him from the dead. Secondly, thanking God for his willingness to save anyone. How many of you are grateful that God can save anybody? Amen. Amen. Paul says in uh, verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who would call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So a little background of what's going on in this passage is that Paul is writing to a church in which all the Jewish people had been expelled from Rome. Mm. So for five years, they had been removed. They had to leave the city of Rome. And now they're coming back. And what this church is trying to figure out is how to do life, Jew and Greek, together. How do they do all this? And so he writes the beginning of uh, the book, we talked about chapter 3, where he says, look, regardless of whether you're Jew or Greek, we're all sinners. I mean, these were two cultures that were very uh, proud of their heritage. The Jewish people, they were God's chosen people. The Greek people, they were proud of their philosophy. They were proud of their wisdom. And he goes on to say what we're reading here, that just as all of us are sinners, that Jesus can save all of us, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our gender or our race. Yeah, you know, I think that there's, there are certain dynamics that happen in our families where one part, because they got a little bit more money, they seem a little different. They live, in my family, they, like, you know, they live uptown or something like that, and um, you, you have these different dynamics that we have a way within our families to kind of separate ourselves. Um, maybe it's education. Maybe we use those tools. Maybe it's um, athleticism, um, you know, whether or not, you know, they're attractive or not, or economic status. I mean, whatever the case may be, we have this way of kind of pushing people out to away from whom God really wants and so in our prayer, we really are thankful that God himself doesn't do that. He doesn't distinguish a certain segment of our family as being unredeemable, but that, that, that there is, um, there is a, a grace for all of us um, to be able to receive. 
And so, like, as we think about the prayer point, but also the condition of our hearts, because in, in prayer, often there are times where God, I mean, God is so amazing that as you're seeing this kind of thing in Uncle Rico, <laughs> you said earlier, like an Uncle Rico. Watch out for Uncle Rico, man. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's not a real Uncle Rico. If so, I apologize. I didn't mean to offend you, brother. Um, but, <laughs> you know, like if, if, there may be things in him that are going on, but God is also trying to show you certain things in you. Mm. So we need to be in a place where we're repentive and, and we are giving grace. And, and the thanksgiving is coming about is that God was able to save us despite that. And, and he's able to save our family member as well, despite those things that we're seeing that would separate us. So kind of taking the cues from this, these kind of cultural things that separated the Greek and the, and the Jew, um, though they're not exactly the same within our own families, there are things that separate us. Um, there, there are just ways. I've seen it like with my, my mother and my uncles and my aunt. Sometimes it's the way the, the, the guys joke and the girls just not feeling that kind of crudeness. Um, it, it could be that. Or, but there's just worldviews that have developed that at times it seems like we can all bump heads um, or separate and go into our own safe corners. Um, and, and we're grateful that God is able to overcome that, and he doesn't use that against us in terms of drawing us into the family. Yeah, there's not a separate path of salvation mm. for a family member that may seem farther away from God. Absolutely. Regardless of where your family member is, there's one way that they come to know Jesus, and it's just calling out his name. Regardless of whether they're, you know, male or female or all those divisions that we often create. Um, so prayer for, for your family member might be, God, thank you that there's no distinction. That um, my cousin, my uncle, doesn't have to reach some kind of spiritual maturity, Lord, before you can save them. But that all they have to do is call out your name. So, Lord, I pray that they would that you would humble them, that they would call out your names, that, that they might be saved, Lord, in Jesus' name. And, and to also to add on, one of the, the um, themes that we have for the prayer journey, hopefully there's some folks here who are part of the journey, is kind of this idea of curating a, a prayer list instead of a playlist, a prayer list. Um, and so that at times we can pray kind of these overarching prayers over our loved ones. But if we want to really begin to kind of attack um, certain areas, um, I think um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 can help us. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I just think it's easier to grasp when you're hearing it. Uh, we are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now, Paul isn't trying to say that he's using some kind of witchcraft to mind control people. He's not doing that. But there's an acknowledgement that Jesus said that when we're, when we're enslaved, when we are sinning, we are enslaved to sinning, to that lifestyle. And so we're um, able, when we get information from God, when we spend time with the, the paraclete to help give us understanding on how to pray for Uncle Rico, not just that he would... In addition to him getting right with God, um, we want to also be able to target certain mindsets that he may have that make the gospel unattractive to him. Mm. And that's going to be different from, for all of your family members. So it's important for us to hear from the Holy Spirit when we're in this space. 
And so Paul says that he didn't use earthly or fleshly weapons against people. It was mighty weapons that come from God. Yeah. And these, these weapons are activated in our prayer life as we are attacking those things that are at the root. So behaviors produce certain kind of fruit, and we often can deal with that. And we, man, why don't you change your life? Why don't you stop making those bad decisions? Why don't you stop doing this? Why don't you stop doing that? And we kind of go at them. And then we may use our methods of putting notes in, in lunch boxes and as they're going off to lunch, or we, we might hit them up on social media and try to expose them, hoping that might get them to turn from their evil and wicked ways. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, well, you, hey, you know, keep it real, man. Some people do that. But Paul didn't do that. Um, Paul didn't deal with the, in, in, in um, 2 Corinthians, the, the, the church was dealing with, um, air quotes, super apostles who were trying to say that their way of living and doing things was better than Paul's and Paul was actually being worldly. But really what they had, their mindsets were still attached to a worldly lifestyle, but they had elevated it to such a place that subjugated the gospel to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Please don't, don't hesitate to let me know. So, like, it's in, it's in that mindset. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the mind being futile when it comes to getting right with God. We pray in such a way that helps to bring these thought patterns, this way of living, this way of thinking that this is the good life. We want to bring it down under the subjection of Christ. Yeah. So in our prayer lives, as we're seeking God for how to pray, because he's only going to answer prayers that emanate from him. That's what one of the things Pastor Jim talked about last week. If that's the case, then God, how do I pray for Uncle Rico in such a way that begins to change his mindset or frees him from the mindset so that that thought pattern can be subjected to the life of Christ? Mm. And so it's in that strategic part of it that helps us from getting from that to that place of, man, I'm tired of praying. <laughs> for the same thing over yeah. and over. And I don't know what else to say. You know, I kind of did my thing in like three minutes. And, you know, it, Pastor Stephen, you got to help me with that. Mm -hmm. This is how we, 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 we fight this battle by going to the Lord and asking for the wisdom on how do we subjugate these mindsets that are keeping them from believing in God. That's how Paul did his thing. That's how we should approach our prayer lives. And then there comes a moment where there's a breakthrough. And I just want to encourage those of you who've been praying for a long time and have seen nothing. Mm. My wife and I, when we got married uh, six years ago, we began to pray for our family members. And I'd like to say it was a consistent thing, but there were moments of consistency and then there were moments of sleeping <laughs> where there wasn't consistency. There were moments where we were full of faith. There were moments where we feel like we've been praying for years and we haven't seen anything. And yet the grace of God, the last two years, we've seen two family members come to know Jesus. And the amazing thing about it is there was a breakthrough type moment that came that we know it came only through prayer. Mm. One of these family members called us about a month ago at 4 a.m. and said, sovereignly, and God did this sovereignly, God has been speaking to me. Mm. He said, the last couple of days, God has been speaking to me. And in that moment, when there was this earthquake-type moment, we talked about the Apostle Paul when he was in jail. God sends an earthquake. Here's this Philippian jailer, and he's distraught. The Philippian jailer, he's about to commit suicide. There's an earthquake moment, and what does Paul do? He preaches the gospel. Mm. 
This verse goes on. The last verse, verse 14, it talks about, Paul says, how then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The implication is that we pray for a moment to share the gospel. And while some of us have to be careful um, to not do things in our own strength, to not try to do things in our own willpower, others of us need to be mindful of the fact that we're praying for a moment for us to open our mouths. We're praying for that breakthrough moment where we can actually share the gospel. And if we don't share the gospel, then our family members left to figure out things by themselves. And they will never figure out things by themselves because they're blinded to the truth. Mm. And so we have to open our mouths in those moments. We got to share the gospel with that family member when they lose their job. See, oftentimes we think of, of our family member's life in terms of is it going good or is it going bad? But the most gracious thing God might be doing is allowing your family member's life to fall apart. You're praying and God is destroying the idols in their life and now they've come to a place of brokenness and all of a sudden you get that call, you get that text that they're going through a divorce or that they've lost their job or they're going through this health scare. And that's a moment to say, this is what I've been praying for, to actually open my mouth and share the gospel. Yeah, yeah and, and I think that it's, you know, like a part of like the way that we're looking at this particular passage and these three points, it really kind of becomes like a circular thing because if you did not really anticipate that the Lord of the universe would answer your prayer, then you'd be like, man, I'm sorry you lost your job, man. Let me help you with your resume. So we, we don't see the opportunity yeah. to interject the gospel because we're not in line with the plan of God with, in terms of our expectation. The intimacy, the, the seeking out plan, plans um, often are going to be fed as we're studying through, as we're going through scripture, which helps prepare us for a moment when it comes to preaching the gospel. And one of the cool things is that as we're doing this kind of vantage point style, preaching isn't always kind of standing up and, you know, like how I was just getting hyped a few seconds ago. You, you called me out. up off the stool, man. <laughs> yeah. Mess up our mojo. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's not always like that. It is proclaiming the truth, but it's not necessarily um, in, in a, you know, in a pulpit or, or something like that. Like you got to pull your Bible out. I mean, my phone and, you know, like, and the word says this, this. Like you don't have to do that. It can be communicated. You can communicate this gospel as you're proclaiming it to them and helping them to find the truth and, and the path that God wants them on. And so it's kind of a thing that helps to build our own personal intimacy as we get to know God, as we see certain opportunities because we've been spending time with God. We have that kind of unction that this is the moment where you need to go ahead and share the gospel. So we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. Uh, We just talked about prayer for 30 minutes, and now we're actually going to pray. So how many of you guys are ready to pray for some unsaved family members? Awesome, awesome. So go ahead and stand to your feet and get with two other people around you. Let's circle up in groups of three.